0: Today on Cyberwork, I speak to John Wilson, head of the Cyber Intelligence Division at Agari by Help System, and what we talk about is email fraud in all its flavors and permutations. Business email compromise, spear phishing, whaling, romance fraud, you name it, John studied it. And he's collected intel that's managed to free cyber criminals assets and even get them put away. He also gives career tips and advice for engaging in threat research at all levels, and we discuss the Pyrrhic victory that is the modern spam filter. And John tells me why one of his key BEC fraud hunters' best asset is a degree in psychology. All that and loads more today on CyberWork. Welcome to this week's episode of the CyberWork with InfoSec podcast. Each week, we talk with a different industry thought leader about cybersecurity trends, the way those trends affect the work of InfoSec professionals, offering tips for breaking in or moving up the ladder in the cybersecurity industry. John Wilson has been combating email-based fraud since 2006 when he developed an authentication-based anti-phishing solution as CTO of Brand Mail Solutions. Uh, John continues his mission to rid the world of email fraud as the head of uh, Agari, Agari? Agari. Agari by Help Systems Cyber Intelligence Division, where he uses active defense techniques to unmask the criminal organizations conducting email-based crimes, including business email compromise and romance scams. Uh, John holds a BS in computer science and engineering from MIT. So John's work as a threat researcher puts him up very close with not only the people who create the hyper-specialized email fraud subsections known as spear phishing and business email compromise, Uh, but also the mechanisms that drive their choice of weaponry. So today's episode is going to focus specifically around BEC, how it works, how to protect against it, and maybe we'll get some stories of some particularly unconventional scams that actually worked. Uh, John, thanks for joining us today. Welcome to CyberWork. Thank you, Chris. Happy to be here. Uh, So to help our listeners get a sense of your personal journey in security, can you tell me how far back does your interest in computers and tech go? And what specifically from there drew you into the idea of email fraud and the security awareness that surrounds it?
1: At the risk of dating myself, um, in 1980, I had a paper route. Okay. And I saved up my paper route money and I bought myself a TRS-80 color computer. Mm -hmm. And at first um, I used it. I would go to the arcade. I would play Pac-Man or Space Invaders. And then I would try to reproduce those games on my color computer. Now it turns out I didn't have quite enough horsepower to do that. Um, (laughs) But I I got the maze working. I got the things working around. Mm -hmm. But eventually I wrote an inventory management program for a local restaurant owner and had my first paid gig with a computer. And that was sort of the moment where my mom said like, okay, now it makes sense why you bought that computer. Cause she thought it was just a big waste of money. Big toy. Um, yeah. So, um, so getting to my interest in email security in 1997, I set up my own web server and my own like Personalized email domain, and I actually ran that on my home PC at the end of a DSL line. <laughs> and after a few weeks, I started getting spam, and then I started getting a lot of spam, and I got more and more spam. So I started playing whack-a-mole. I my little mail program, I forget exactly what it was, but it had a way you could write a rule that oh, don't accept mail from this IP address, don't accept mail from this email address, don't accept mail with this subject line. I started writing those rules. Well, obviously, after a few weeks, I realized. This isn't the way to oh, fix yeah. the problem. Um, I quickly realized it's a really tough problem uh, that couldn't be solved with a set of rules alone. So that's kind of what sparked the interest. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll get a little more into that as we get on with our conversation. But that was that was the genesis, if you will. OK, well, that, that, I, I want to ask a question that's not on my on my
0: questions here, but I, I'm curious what you think about um spam as a phenomenon then versus now. I mean, most people's emails, email programs have sort of a built-in spam blocker that's, you know, yep. so, 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 so effective. Uh, you know, sometimes you'll get a, an actual message that'll go into the spam filter and vice versa. But, you know, it, it's it, it doesn't feel quite as intrusive as it did in the late 90s, early 2000s, where you might only have 10 Actual messages to 50 spam messages and they were all and they were all swimming together. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on the way sort of the the signal to noise ratio is now? Because I know also when I click on the spam folder, like you just get a tidal flood that's that's
1: hiding down there that you can't even believe. Absolutely. So so I think that um, a couple of innovations have allowed us to get much better at filtering spam. Mm-hmm. One is machine learning. So you can start to analyze these messages, look for patterns, find similar patterns and say, "Okay, well, these were all labeled spam by a user. These other ones are very, very similar. They have a lot of the same indicators. Therefore, we're going to take action on it. So that was one of the big things. The other, however, even greater influence or, or greater impact was this concept of massive scale. So if you look at the mm-hmm. likes of Google or Microsoft or Yahoo, they've got such a corpus of messages to deal with that, um, they they can see the patterns in a much uh, you know much broader view yeah. than my little one domain just me sitting at home could yeah. have ever possibly done. I didn't get to see a 10,000 you know or 10 million users getting spam. I got to see one user getting spam. And so I think those are the two big innovations. I've got to be honest with you though, Chris. in the last two weeks, I've seen a slight uptick in both my Gmail and my Yahoo account. Letting a few things slip through and getting into the inbox. I don't know sure. what's going on with that, to be honest. Um, and obviously, it's a it's one of these things, you know, that you build a better mousetrap, the mouse gets a little smarter, and, a, and back a, I and forth. It's an
0: arms race. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is. It's
1: an arms race, and around and around we go. You can
0: feel <laughs> someone has has found an advantage somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's also, um, uh, again, I don't want to tangent this too far, but I, I love talking about this stuff. But um, uh, you know, I, I feel like a lot of the old workarounds of spam are are not a thing anymore like you would get like a couple of random words at the end of a subject line or you would get like a proper name and there were all these these mm. very sort of cheap sounding uh you know and it made spam subject lines just look hilariously weird um and mm. now it, you know and and sometimes they still do with like different like like fonts and stuff but it is interesting to see that sort of like that evolution of 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 the workarounds and yeah like you said it'll be curious to see maybe in 6 months from now we'll find out why uh, some some people are are making it through the through the barrier, and some aren't. Absolutely. So, uh, your career path has been pretty consistent, going from uh, an application consultant for Oracle in 1990 through several CTO roles in the early mid 2000s up to your current role as a senior fellow threat research with Agari. Uh, so, you work with the guy and the company's work overall is based around email security. Uh, what specifically around that area of security? Well, you, you talked about it a little bit, but um, like how did you, what, what caused you to sort of continue it, especially within the sort of
1: fraud space? Yeah. So, Chris, for me, it was always very personal. Um, it started with me getting some spam, but I started to realize um, so, so I had received a few phishing emails. And on more than one occasion, I was duped into clicking. Now, mm-hmm. I know enough about technology that once I saw like, oh, that's not PayPal, I'm not going to put my PayPal credentials in. Mm-hmm. But it got me realizing, OK, if if I was dumb enough to click and I know this stuff, I do this stuff for a living. What possible chance does my mom have? Does, does my brothers, my cousins, etc. Mm-hmm. And so I really said, you know, this is an area where I can actually kind of help people um, do my tiny little bit. My tiny little part to make the internet something that I think is uh, just an amazing tool when used for good, but it can also be pretty horrific if you don't know what you're doing on there. Uh, and I figured, you know, I can't fight every battle there, but this email battle is one that uh, I can help people.
0: I love that. So that you you're one of our, our guests who really has like a specific mission uh, within their work. It's not just this is fun, but like you, you can oh. see you can see yourself
1: actively like changing changing things for the better. Yeah, in 2006 a friend of mine started a company called Brandmail Solutions. So the idea there was we put in the logo of the company right there in the inbox next to the messages from that company, but only if they were legitimate. So if somebody mm-hmm. tried to use a Gmail account to send a, an AT&T message, or they spoofed the message from AT and T. They wouldn't get the logo. Uh, and we had this up and running. Actually, uh, we had it working in Ireland. We had it working <laughs> in Germany at a couple of webmail providers. Unfortunately, we were a little ahead of our time. There's a standard today known as VIMI, brand indicators for message identification. It's only been around a couple of years, and it's finally doing that in a standardized way. Um, and folks like Google and Yahoo have adopted it. But yeah. prior to that. Um, you know we were blazing the trail and then along came the 2008 2009 sort of economic collapse mm-hmm. um, and we were out trying to raise money failed to raise any additional money and sadly had mm-hmm. to shut the doors but as luck would have it while I was scrambling to find a new job I, I reached out to a contact Pat Peterson and Pat had been at Ironport and we had you know Met each other at many an event uh, since we were both out there trying to stop email fraud, and I found out he just started a new company. And so, within a you know a month later, I suddenly found myself uh, as Agari's fourth employee, continuing the mission, albeit uh, in, under under a new company. Interesting.
0: Okay, so uh, uh, thank you for that. So today's episode, as I as I mentioned, is all about email fraud and its many permutations, but especially uh, that subspecialty known as business email compromise or BEC. So mm-hmm. to start with, let's let's define some terms. I mentioned spear phishing in the intro which, of course, is a phishing attack specifically targeted to an individual through research on that individual. And then there's also whaling, which is a higher level of danger and payoff as it tends to target C-suite person uh, in a company who can, say, authorize a massive bank transfer on a moment's notice. So uh, how do these individual types of phishing attacks within the greater umbrella of the concept of business email compromise, or are they sort of different camps?
1: Yeah, so so I'm going to take one step back first. Um, sure. and, uh when I look at the email attack landscape, there's really three primary uh, vectors for an email attack. Okay. Uh, the first uh, we're all familiar with, it's a malicious attachment. Yes. So typically that attachment is going to infect your computer, install yes. some unwanted software, steal credentials, et cetera. Yes. Uh, the second is what I call a link-based attack. Mm. A link-based attack is your typical phishing. Fake message from from PayPal, your account is blocked, please log in here to fix the problem, whatever it may be. They want you to click a link, go to a website. BEC is a subset of the third type, which is what I refer to as a response-based attack. And what I mean Mm. by that is the action the actor wants you to take is to hit reply. Mm. And so BEC falls under that. Now, another category of that, is what I refer to as a romance scam. You get a, you get an email from, you know, some attractive person, you know, for whatever your, whatever may meet your fancy uh, and they want to strike up a friendship. Obviously it's not that they're trying to get you to click a link or download an attachment. They think you're going to carry on a conversation with them. And that's the same for business email compromise. So within that, we then have a number of subcategories. Uh, there's uh, some folks in the industry will refer to what we call business email spoofing. So business email spoofing means I am basically just impersonating the uh, an executive, a vendor, uh, somebody else, you know, in your, your trusted ecosystem. But I'm not actually using their email account. Now, I may have conducted some, uh, you know, a lot of research to try to craft a very interesting lore. but I'm, I'm not actually breaking into anybody's account. Then we have what we refer to as true business email compromise, where somebody in that food chain, somebody in that conversation has actually uh, got a bad guy monitoring all the conversations. And when the time is right. They either inject themselves into the conversation right from the compromised account, mm-hmm. or they may, at that point, set up a lookalike domain or some other, you know, set up a Gmail account with the correct name. But what they're armed with is all the intel, the thread, the history of this conversation, and they jump in right at the, you know, just at the right moment. Hmm. Now is so, it, oh, yeah. sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, yeah. I mean, you know, so I was just going to lastly say, so to me, um, whaling is just. Uh, an attacker being a little more greedy than somebody yeah. spearfishing it's honestly it's the same attack generally it's just yeah. a question of you know how 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 brave are they how uh, yeah. you know
0: and 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 also this is sort of the depth of uh, depth of research i would imagine and and you you don't just need to know you know spearfishing it's easy enough to say like oh you know this person's boss you know and then you can do a fake boss email whereas yeah. here you need to know like you know uh, Time of day, a, a certain key account. Uh, make sure you send it to so and so in accounting to have a bank transfer and sent to China and stuff yeah. like that.
1: No, 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 when they're on a no when they're on an airplane to Hong Kong, so you yeah. can say, "Hey, as you know, I'm I'm about to board my flight to Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. I need you to do this in the yeah, next yeah, couple of hours." You know, then, then they're exactly.
0: Range for seven hours. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. seventeen hours. Um, so, <laughs> um is it, it sound, is this still primarily externally based i mean when i hear business email compromise there's also a sense of is is there a sort of an insider angle ever uh, or is this mostly coming from people outside who are able to as you said sort of make their way into the conversation and get reply
1: so we do see an insider threat, but typically it's what I refer to as an unwitting insider. What's okay. happened is someone in the company has been co-opted by an external party convincing them that they are somebody they are not, Mm -hmm. and now getting that person to do their bidding. Uh, And I have a few examples of that we'll get into a little bit more um, in a moment. But um, as far as this being a true insider threat, where you have a malicious insider, Mm -hmm. I'm sure cases of that exist. But generally, I think it's in most people's um, career uh, interests not to participate in that. (laughs) Yeah,
0: for sure. Excuse me. So, um, uh, my next question, uh, business email compromise obviously has been a problem for a lot of years and you've been researching it since way back. But, um, And I know it's never going to truly go away, but do you have any feeling of whether BEC is a thing that has, you know, the knowledge of business email compromise has reduced the incidence? Is there any kind of learning curve in business (laughs) or is it getting worse? and and you know is it I mean obviously it's still possible to know that BEC exists and fall for it but like what do, what do you feel about like in terms of like the old days when no one even knew to look for it versus now know to look for it but there's more people doing it
1: yeah so i I'll give you one stat 2.4 billion dollars um according to the FBI and the ic3 uh, were lost in 2021 to business email compromise wow. scams Jeez. um so I uh, that's a high watermark. mark. Uh, it's it's been increasing year over year over year. Now I believe a lot of that is just that um, a, a lot of a lot more people are realizing there's good money to be had if you're if you're successful at this. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of bad actors who perhaps may come from places that um, where they have a good education but they don't have good economic pros uh, you know prospects. Yeah. And so. You know at the end of the day, they want to feed their family, mm-hmm. they're going to find a way to do it, even if that, um, you know, involves criminal activity. Uh, I know people are aware of these scams, and yet no amount of training is going to stop it completely, yeah. um, especially the most uh, sophisticated attacks. And one attack I like to talk about, um, that's, uh, I think, really is worth a lot more education is what I call the real estate scam. Okay. So, the way the scam works is, uh, somebody uh, so so first of all you have to understand most real estate agents are sort of these independent brokers they're using their personal gmail yahoo etc accounts they don't have some corporate email security layer on top of this or anything so they get fished out of their credentials bad guy goes in and puts a rule in there quietly in their inbox that they just get a copy of every message going to or from this person. Basically, they tap the line, right? Mm -hmm. Now you got a nice young couple buying their first home, for example. Um, They're supposed to show up with a check at closing when they go to escrow or whatever the case may be, but no, instead the scammer waits till just the right moment. Just when they know the uh, real estate agent has signed off for the day, they shoot an email over hey, um, make sure you wire your down payment funds to this bank account before you come to closing on Friday. Um, and it's the saddest thing in the world. You end up oh, yeah. with uh, homeless homeless homebuyers, basically. Wow. They're still on the hook for the loan, but they don't have the home. They don't have the down payment anymore. Wow. And actually, um, some FBI friends of mine have said uh, they're aware of at least two suicides um, they personally were aware of as a result of somebody, someone being victim of that scam. And so- Here's the problem, right? A real estate agent in theory should know better, right? Because they do, they sell houses every day of the week. You or I buy a home, unless you're a real estate agent on the side, Chris, you and I might buy a home one, two, five times in our entire life. And so you may not know that the scam is out there, that that scam exists. Now, that's an extreme example. But even uh, internally, it's amazing. I I see people all the time falling for things. I got a call from a company a few years back. Uh, They had just... Uh, At somebody impersonated their CEO, said, I need a copy of all employee W 2s And they sent them the file with, you know, megabytes of W-2 forms, which wow. the scammers then went and obviously did identity theft to try to file for tax refunds, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And good luck. To, I mean, imagine the joy of having to deal with the IRS when they tell you, oh, no, we already sent your refund. And you're like, the hell you did. I, I, mm-hmm. I just filed my taxes. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's just such a I don't know. It's it's a terrible crime. But yeah, I, I don't think I don't think it's going away here.
0: No, it doesn't sound like it. Uh, it it's, <laughs> sounds even worse than
1: I, I, <laughs> it, a pretty
0: bad idea, but that sounds even worse. But my um, friends call me Debbie Downer. By the way, when it comes uh, to when it comes to this particular uh, thing, I'm, you're not the only guest that's made me want to pour a stiff cocktail at the end of the episode. Uh, yeah, yeah, t- yeah. I'll t- I'll, t- I'll tell you some stories from uh, the infrastructure security people that I talked to. <laughs> oh boy. Um, anyway, so um, well to that end. It, it, I guess because this is such a fast and shadowy crime, is there any not retaliation, but is there has there been any look at like tracking down some of these larger sort of crime people or is it do they really no. just disappear back into the shadows again?
1: No, actually there's been a, a lot of good work. So I personally okay. was able to so, so we have a program at Agari we call our active Defense program. Mm-hmm. We actually, We'll carry on conversations with BEC scammers. We'll get their bank accounts that they want us to launder the money through. We'll get their email addresses. And we have relationships with the email providers, with the banks, and we'll get those assets taken away. We'll get that bank account frozen so they can't move the money. But we have some other techniques where, in some cases, I've actually been able to identify the individuals involved. And we did refer one case to the U.S. Secret Service. Uh and they arrested uh three, they happen to be Nigerian nationals. They were living in South Africa, and that was just before the pandemic. And from what I understand, they're all still sitting in jail awaiting trial. Uh now they got them dead to rights for money laundering. Mm-hmm. These guys are driving, you know, brand new Mercedes, living in these gorgeous apartments with ocean views, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet they have absolutely no source of income. So uh yeah. it's what gets interesting is the uh, the means used to prosecute. Now there's uh, yeah. the FBI has done a few great things. They had wire wire, and then they had, I think, operation rewired where they have gone and made some mass arrests of some multinational gangs. Mm. And finally um, much of this crime actually uh, sort of stems from West Africa, particularly Nigeria. Mm-hmm. So the EFCC, which is a, a group um, it's like, I forget exactly electronic fraud and Financial crimes unit um, Think of them, if you will, as Like the search block from the Pablo Escobar Days, mm-hmm. except instead of yep. going after the Drug lord, they're right. going after the, the Yahoo boys, the guys doing this sort Of fraud, mm-hmm. uh, and they made some very High-profile arrests, including many mm. politicians Who were taking kickbacks to Sort of look the other way, etc So wow. the cooperation globally has Gotten a little bit better uh, We're far from, you know, to yeah. the point Where every, <laughs> you know, these guys Don't, typically don't get caught But, you know, every time some high profile guy does get caught, such as Hush Puppy, for example, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that I think makes a lot of wannabe scammers say, "Mm, maybe I should rethink my life choices. So, yeah, um, you know, I I don't think it's all. Yeah, Yeah, there are consequences. Mm -hmm. Whereas Mm -hmm. there there did not used to be any. It used to just I mean, they literally could brag about their crimes post pictures of themselves in a first-class airplane seat uh, mm-hmm. hopping in their bentley when they get to the destination et cetera. they right. post it all over social media and we're seeing a lot less of that now because they realize I can imagine you, know, yeah. you get a little too big uh, the lawnmower is gonna chop your head off you know yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um so I, I to to that end um you know obviously we, we we're not going to be able to wait until uh, all the bad guys get rounded up and and put away um, so in the meantime from a, a technological or psychological standpoint standpoint, do you have advice for listeners who want to keep themselves safer against BEC? Like what, what, what to, you know, I mean, you, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep talking about all the social engineering tricks and so forth, but um, yeah. I guess even from a defense standpoint, you were talking about the, uh, you know, the real estate agents who are, are getting compromised. I mean, do you have any sort of thoughts in terms of like comprehensive, like two factor or other? Yeah, uh,
1: absolutely. So I yeah. look at this really from uh, the, Two angles. The first is the corporate angle. So let's take the corporate angle first. Um, You need to have a layered approach. So obviously you've got your spam filter. Spam Mm -hmm. filters are actually not that great at stopping business email compromise messages because the content in them look similar to normal business communications. There's yeah. not that, they're not talking about, you know, Viagra or some adult website or, yeah. you know, uh, some new weight loss drug. Or heavy egregious to. typos in them or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Instead, they're, you know, often very simple. Hey, are you available? I have a task I need you to do, or we have a yep. payment that needs to be made, etc. So there are uh, solutions out there. Uh, Agari by Help Systems actually sells one, but there are others out there as well uh, that are specifically designed to detect identity impersonation Mm. and identify, because that's one of the hallmarks of all of these attacks is, you know, if, if you've got somebody saying, my name is Bob and you've never heard of me in your life, and I need you to wire $53,000 to this account. That's your problem, yeah. but when they but when Bob is your CEO and Bob is telling you now to wire fifty two thousand, obviously there they've impersonated Bob and they, they've they've used that trust as well as authority aspects of social engineering uh, to do that. And so, number one, I suggest the companies consider investing in this additional layer over the top of their spam filter. Second thing train your employees. Uh, There are, again, help systems has uh, solutions in this area. There are other companies out there as well, Uh, fishing simulation and training. So, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you try to fish your employees, the ones that fall for it, end up having to go take a class, you know, kind -hmm. of thing. So that starts to, to inoculate folks a little bit, but yes, you, you hit the nail on the head before, especially with the real estate agent and with individuals. Multi-factor authentication. Mm-hmm. If all you need is my username and password to get into my email, that's a big problem. Why? Well, think how many breaches there've been. All of our uh, all of our uh, addresses and passwords are out there. Yeah. Password reuse is rampant. So even if the site that oh, got yeah. leaked had nothing to do with email, chances are you might, you're going to find some percentage of those testing folks the it same. Until, Exactly, yeah. we call it credential mm-hmm. stuffing. Yeah. Um, yep. So MFA is is absolutely crucial. Um, personally, I'm more of a fan of those uh, things that generate a unique code than simply using SMS because there has been things like SIM swapping. But let's be honest, this is like the low hanging fruit, right, the, the, mm-hmm. this, the, the attacker is going to find the person who doesn't have multi-factor, the person who doesn't mm-hmm. have these other things before they're going to try to do a SIM swap yes. attack. Yeah. So the other thing that's highly effective okay. are just simply internal policies. So, for hmm. example, if somebody sends an email to payroll and says, hey, uh, can you please update my, uh, my my direct deposit account? The correct answer is go log into your payroll portal, please. Yep, which has Um, two-factor on it. (laughs) Exactly. Um, As opposed to, oh, I'll just update that in the system for you. Uh, It's amazing how they're able to socially engineer their way way around those things. But um, if you're buying a house, you know, and you get a message from the real estate agent, pick up the phone, call the number you already have in your contacts or go to the website and Mm -hmm. find the number there. Don't use the number in the bottom of the uh, email. I'll give you a quick little story here. So um, years ago, my mom gets a message uh, supposedly from her choir director. Choir director says, um, oh, you should check this out. It's funny. You're going to laugh your ass off. Sorry, your butt off. Um, Anyway, um, my mom thought it was a little bit weird. So she and she knows what I do for a living. She, oh, my son would want me to double check this. Did she pick up the phone? No, she replied to the email. She said, uh, "Did you really send me this?" Uh, you know. And he said, "Oh yeah, absolutely. You're really gonna you're really gonna laugh." She clicks it. Next thing you know, I find all this out because I get an email from my mom with the same document. Hey, check this out. You're going to laugh really gonna your butt laugh. off. Yeah, And yeah. I called up. I'm like, mom, you um, fell would you do? for one. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so the point is um, use that second channel. Um, yeah. And again, don't trust the phone number that might be in the email and definitely don't just reply to the email because you have to assume the bad actor is in that mailbox yeah. and is just as able to respond as the real owner.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I've I got my mom on a, <laughs> a on a call. Me at any hour of any day if something weird comes through. At this point, she just doesn't even <laughs> use it anymore. I think i have terrified her of the uh, of the possibility, <laughs> which is just fine she doesn't need it that bad. <laughs> but um, yeah, so well, this, I mean, the the purpose of our show, Cyber Work, is to talk about the careers uh, around you know these people, our your guests and our expertise. And this is such a bigger uh, career stack than I was thinking when you talked about people who are actually taking the fight and working with the FBI and 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 rounding, you know. So I know that there's, there's a bunch of different types of job roles around business email compromise, whether it's security awareness training, like you said, or, um, you know, whether it's implementing policy in your office. But like, what are some of the, um, what are some things that people who are listening to this now could do right after they turn the video off to get them a little closer to having the qualifications to sort of work in this area, especially the higher tech areas like threat researcher like yourself, Mm -hmm. uh, or even, you know, working with the sort of secret service
1: and so forth? Yeah, so it really starts out with an understanding of how the internet works. You Mm -hmm. need to understand the protocols, you need to understand What different types of infrastructure are are out there? You've got, Mm -hmm. you know, companies that play different roles, companies that are providing broadband access, companies that are providing hosting services, companies that are providing uh, co-location or cloud-based computing services. Um, You need to understand how to, you know, if you've got an IP address, how can you use open source Intel? or what mm-hmm. we call OSINT, how can you use that to go figure out, well, who controls that IP address? If, if there's a problem, if there's stuff coming out of that IP address is bad, how do I know who to contact to get that taken care of? And so you have to have the, the basics of how the internet works. Now, Do you yeah. have to be an absolute expert in like every time of like BGP routing or something like that? No, of course not. Mm-hmm. But you gotta have the basics if you're going to mm-hmm. jump into this because Um, you know, you're going to be pivoting across different things and you have to know the connections between those things. Now, specifically to be a threat researcher, you have to have kind of a creative and analytical mind. You're never going to have the whole picture put in front of you. I'll give you an example. Uh, We had a guy on my team a few years back who was actually the guy who found, figured out who the guys were that had stolen uh, from this woman in the romance scam that resulted in that arrest. Mm -hmm. He read through. So we had managed to get our hands on the mailboxes uh, that some of these guys were using to do their scams. We had uh, we had worked with the victim and got some bank account information, um, and we were able to call up some friends. In this case, uh, I, I called somebody over at the Secret Service who has access to the um, to the to the uh, FinCEN database, which is uh, every time there's a a large transaction moving money, I think the limit is $10,000. It gets filed. And specifically, if there's anything that looks suspicious, banks are supposed to uh, file what's called a SAR, a suspicious activity report. Hmm. And I don't have access to that database, but the Secret Service guy did, and he was able to go spider all that out. Mm -hmm. But then we were able to tie some social media accounts. And a lot of this came down to my analyst who just has this like, you know, eidetic memory where he's like, wait a minute, I'm pretty sure that I saw that same username on a completely different system. Let me go check it out. And sure enough, he found it. We followed the breadcrumbs. We tracked it down. Now, does every person on the team need every skill? No. Uh, At the end of the day, why this works is we have a team. If it was any one of us, I don't think we would have made half the progress that we've made. Um, you need to be able to know how to use different tools to sort of visualize data. Um, I'm a very visual person. If I can get something in the right chart or graph, I am in a much more of a position to start to see the pattern with my eyes. Uh, Mm -hmm. This other guy was actually better with the words. He could just read through 10,000 emails in the space of an hour and be like, okay, yeah, there was an email with this keyword, go search on it. Oh yeah. That tied this to this. So, Mm. you know, it's a variety of different skills. But yeah, the 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 core of this is uh, first to understand that, and then comes the whole second aspect. Specifically, if you're going to go after business email compromise or other social engineering scams, having a little hint of sort of the psychology of these things, how it works, totally. Um, You know, it it is very helpful. Uh, We used to have a guy on my team; he's uh, long since moved on to to do other things. But he had a degree in psychology, and um, one of the things he always talked about um, through our active defense uh, techniques is if you don't think you're going to get some sort of payout and then you get a payout, obviously you're quite happy, Mm -hmm. but, and if you, if you don't think you're going to get a payout and you don't get the payout, well, you're mildly annoyed, but if you think you've got a big payout coming and then it falls through and you don't get it, that's like emotionally devastating. And we used a lot of those techniques against the bad guys where wow. they they think they're getting a hundred thousand dollar wire wow. on Friday, uh, but in the meantime, not only are they not getting their hundred thousand dollar wire, <laughs> they're their, their not- bank cut. Whatever <laughs> was in the bank account isn't yeah. going to be there on Friday either. So you know, wow. so there's a lot of that. So yeah, those are, are some of the uh, that's the fascinating. T- so
0: so you you had someone in house who had a psychology or psychiatry background who was able to like tweak the the the, the wording of like the the messages you were saying
1: exactly. Wow. Um to really uh essentially reverse social engineer these folks. Amazing. Um, okay, I love yeah. that.
0: That's mind yeah. blowing. So um <laughs> okay, so so the next 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 stage after that, I mean, uh, you know, I'm I really wanna like as much as I can just like put this in the hands of people who are listening to this right now and, and to get into this. So, you know, you can learning can only take you so far. Obviously, uh, you can't just necessarily knock on a door and say, I've learned all this stuff. Give me a mm-hmm. job. Like, what are some ways that people who don't have experience in this field can demonstrate experience until they can, you know, work for a company or be on a team and get real experience?
1: Absolutely. So I look where we source uh, folks for my team. Uh, they come from a number of different places. Uh, it, I've had people join my team from an engineering discipline where mm-hmm. you know they were writing software, so they had the basics under you know basic understanding of the internet mm-hmm. um, and some aspect of it. And then of course we were willing to make the leap and give them the additional training they needed. Uh, some of my team has come from some three letter agencies. Uh, it turns out that. Um, you know, the government is pretty good at training people to do this stuff. They also yeah. don't pay very well. So it's pretty good. It's uh, relatively easy to lure folks away after okay. they receive their training. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess the other thing, of course, would be an internship, especially for your your younger listeners mm-hmm. um, and, and viewers. Um you know, I, I know a lot of companies are more than happy to bring somebody in as an intern. In fact, we've had several interns that have come through. Uh, after they graduated, we brought them on full time and eventually they were ready to take the next step in their career and they moved off to another company where they could, you know, maybe take more of a leadership role uh in this. Uh it's like anything though, Chris. Um it's getting that toe in the door is so yeah. impossible. But the one upside there is, you know, there's an estimated 3 million unfilled or unfilled jobs in cybersecurity. Just, mm-hmm. I think, uh, I forget whether that's globally or in the U.S. I think that's just in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so the good news is that the the bar of entering is a little bit lower than it might have been some time ago, um, yeah. simply because the, the lack of talent. And you may find uh, there'll be companies willing to, you know, work with you, give you that Take a little bit of training you need. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're hoping. So my, my previous guest, Diana Kelly, we had a very <laughs> long talk about, uh, some of the, the pipeline issues involved, you know, which is anything from, from higher, you know, HR departments looking for unicorn candidates to not really knowing how to sort of get around the tracking, you know, getting the right keywords in your resume. And it's a whole thing, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you yeah. know, the, you know, the story, but, um, but no, that's this is all very uh, very inspiring and a, a lot larger than I uh, had expected at the front. So uh, as we wrap up today, John, you told us a little bit, but p- please feel free to tell us more about Agari and some of the services and, and research methods you utilize. And also, if you have any big projects on the horizon, feel free to uh, promote those as well.
1: Sure. So, um, you know, Agari is in the business of stopping email fraud. We got our start with a, a solution called Agari Brand Protection. Mm-hmm. That solution helps companies implement a standard known as DMARC. What DMARC does is it makes sure that if you own PayPal.com and you're not PayPal, you cannot use that email address. Now, that may seem like very obvious. Mm-hmm. Of course, if you're not PayPal, you can't use PayPal.com. Before the DMARC standard and before Agari, anybody could send a message saying they were from PayPal um, and, you know, typically it would get delivered. Uh, So that was our first product. The second thing we did was we built a Gari phishing defense. And and that's that thing I alluded to earlier where we're we're modeling the normal sending behavior of the identities that are trusted within your organization and then finding those anomalies and preventing delivery of those messages. So for example, if your CFO normally uses her, um, you know, her her work account and once in a while forwards her uh you know her her hotel receipts to an assistant, the system will quickly learn those are the only two addresses that the CFO is sending from. And yep. therefore when one comes in from a completely different one, it'll block it. Yeah. Our third product is called Agari Phishing Response. That's kind of the catch-all. So now you've trained your users up, they they know when to see phishing. But somebody, you know, in your mail client, you'll have a button where you can right click and say report phishing. Mm-hmm. Well, guess guess what? That, when you report that, if you're an Agari customer, that goes over to Agari phishing uh, response. Someone reviews it, determines then if it's a threat or not. And if it is a threat, we can spider that out and see who else in the company may have been hit by that same attack. Mm-hmm. And then we, we obliterate the whole thing in one fell swoop, remediate wow. the threat. And then those indicators go back to all of our other customers to inoculate them against that same thing. And then lastly, what's near and dear to my team, I head up the Adari Cyber Intelligence Division and we offer a solution called Active Defense where our customers send us their BEC emails And we spin up a fictitious persona and just reply back and say, hey, I I got your message. Um, What do you need me to do? And we extract bank accounts. We feed those over to the banks so they can take action on them. We feed the email accounts over. We track all sorts of stats, figures, et cetera. And then all of that intel goes into our products as well to make those uh, stronger in the future. Um, The other thing uh, that I'm doing, kind of what's latest for me, is here at Help Systems, We are, um, health systems has grown uh, very recently by, um, you know, they've been around for quite some time, but after starting a cybersecurity practice, they've been on a bit of a buying spree. Um, And in fact, I think we've acquired about five companies post-Agari, which was just one year ago. My role is very much involved with integrating the threat research from all of these different siloed companies so that we're not, you know, if you've got that. I'm sure you've solving, seen the, uh, yeah. yeah, we're, we're, we're getting the all the data problems over in the same and over. place. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that we can okay. connect all of this. Uh, we can connect the dots in ways that um, no single product could have done in the past. So be on the lookout, some exciting stuff coming down the pipe uh, yeah. when we start uh, connecting these together.
0: Really cool. So, well, uh, last question for all the marbles here. If our listeners want to learn more
1: about John Wilson and Agari by Help Systems, where should they go online? Absolutely. Well, certainly our um, our websites, uh, you know, if you go to agari.com or helpsystems.com, you can learn mm-hmm. all you want about our solutions and such. Uh, one area that I very much encourage people to go to is acid, A-C-I-D, That's, That's where you will find our research reports, where we mm-hmm. break apart each of those threat groups I was talking about before, uh, where you can learn their tactics, techniques, and procedures. And you may well say, wow, look at that message in my inbox Based on what I'm reading from Agari, yeah, that's this group over here that's doing it. Uh, oh, yeah. they're based. They're based here. They use this particular infrastructure. They base mm-hmm. the email accounts like this. Whatever. We have all these different indicators that sort of <laughs> help guide us and, and attribute uh, or attribute the uh, attacks to a specific group. So, yeah, I very much encourage you to uh, your readers and, and listeners to go there. Uh, I think it's. Uh, um, I think they will be somewhat entertained because we really kind of walk through the, the the threats and and we tend to take a little bit of there's a tiny bit of humor along with it, along yeah. with, of course, the educational value. So, I was going to say
0: there's there's got to be enough like crazy stories out there that, uh, you know, there's got to be some entertainment value as we're as we're all sort of sweating our next potential <laughs> coming at us. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, John Wilson, uh, thank you very much for your time and insights today. This was a, an absolute blast. I really appreciate talking to you. Likewise, Chris. Have a great day! And as always, thank you to everyone uh, listening and supporting Cyberwork. New episodes of the Cyberwork podcast are available every Monday at 1 p.m. Central, both on video at our YouTube page and on audio wherever you get your uh, podcasts. Uh, I want to make sure you all know that we have a lot more than weekly interviews to offer you. You can actually learn cybersecurity for free on our Infosec Skills platform. If you go to infosecinstitute.com/free and create account, you can start learning right now. We have 10 free cybersecurity foundation courses, six cybersecurity leadership courses, 11 courses on digital forensics, 11 on incident response, seven on security architecture, DevSecOps, Python, JavaScript, ICS data, and more. Just go to infosecinstitute.com slash free and start learning today. Thank you very much once again to John Wilson and Agari. And thank you all for watching and listening. We'll speak to you next week.